Welcome back to the Border Patrol on Sports Radio 810 WHP. Stephen St. John, Nate Bucati, Jake Gutierrez. On this Wednesday hump day, January 31st, 2024, let's say hello to our friend Mike DeCorsi from the Sporting News. Hello, Mike. How are you? Hi, guys. How are you this morning? Doing great, uh, Mike. And I would assume that uh, your feelings weren't hurt to see the Chiefs eliminate the Baltimore Ravens. As a uh, as a Steelers fan, hopefully you were one of the few outside of Kansas City that were actually rooting for uh, for the Chiefs. That was a uh, defensive struggle, a physical football game, uh, and they got it done. What did uh, What did you think of the Chiefs taking care of business against uh, the Baltimore Ravens? First of all, Stephen, I thought all the Swifties outside of Kansas City wanted the Chiefs to win. That's right, so Swifties. You're, you're limiting. They're limiting the scope of their appeal. Swifties are uh, honorary Kansas Cityans now. We've included them in our city. <laughs> there you go. They're all around the world. That's right. Rooting for your guys. Uh, I, I, I thought in the end the difference between the game is one team was disciplined and committed and the other team was not. Uh, the, the number of penalties, egregious penalties that Baltimore took, um, what, just amazing in, in, on that stage. Like in a regular season game, look, all games matter. Um, but you can get away with losing a regular season game if you're a great team and recover from it. And and Baltimore played that game like it was like the third game of the year. And they had a score to settle more so than they had a Super Bowl to reach. Uh, I, I, I was not surprised by some of what I saw, given the identity of the player involved. But uh, the Zay Flowers activity, um, that shocked me. Uh, getting, the, getting the taunting, I guess they called taunting, I guess that's what it was, or unsportsmanlike, or whatever you want to call it. Um, I just, I'm like, what are we doing here? This is, this is the championship game. I, I, was, I was shocked uh, by that. Not, like I said, not to see it. it it's an NFL game, stuff happens. Um, but the stage... If, if, again, if you'd heard, if you'd seen that sort of thing uh, in the first month of the season, you wouldn't have blinked. But to do it then was astonishing. You know, it's it's boy, that's interesting, Mike, because we were just talking about how the the, the turning point for the Chiefs seemed to be very very late in the season when they lost on Christmas Day to the Raiders. We just heard Andy Reid talking about how that moment was a wake up call for the team, and at that point in time. Their problem, like Justin Watson, their wide receiver after the game, said that discipline, lack of discipline, was the Chiefs' biggest problem all season long. They kept getting penalties in crucial situations and making mistakes when the game was on the line. And to hear you talk in the AFC Championship game about they were the team that was disciplined and focused, and the Ravens, who were great all year, seemed to lose all that composure. What does that tell you? Is that is that just about a team in the Chiefs that, that have the experience and can flip the switch? What, what is What do you make of that, that, that like role reversal in the biggest game of the year? Yeah, I think some of it is, is making sure that the people that you bring in fit your culture and, and fit the commitment to success, even if they're new to the program. And I don't think Baltimore made sure that happened. Uh, it, I, I don't think they universally did that, and, and I, I think the Chiefs were better at that, largely. Uh, they, uh, it, it's obvious this Chiefs roster, especially at, at the skill positions, is not what has won Super Bowls for them in the past. Um, but I, I, I think it's really interesting, like in terms of 
uh, Valdez Scantling in particular, who became so, you know, everybody remembers his name now, um, not because, like Tyreek Hill, he was doing these amazing things on the field, but because he dropped so many big passes. And then in the most uh, crucial games against Buffalo and then here on Sunday, made the biggest catches. Uh, just that I, I don't I can't explain what how how one goes from that from that to this. I don't know I, that I can't explain that quickly. Um, I, I've seen players who dropped the number of passes or the consequence of passes that he did lose their careers because they couldn't come back from it because teams wouldn't trust them again. And maybe it, the Chiefs had no other choice, and so they continued to trust him, and it worked out. Um, but but whatever, that, whatever the reason there, however he went from that to this, I think a, a part of it is that he is part of a championship culture, and that – led him to, I don't know, continue to work every day, to continue to believe he could get it done. Uh, and then ultimately, like I said, he made the two biggest catches, not the game-winning catches, but the game-clinching catches in each of those two games. I, I don't know that I've ever seen that in the NFL before, certainly not recently. Mike DeCourcy is our guest. Mike, uh, one more quick Football question before we move on to uh, basketball. Uh, again, everyone knows uh, the listeners of the show, you're a Steelers fan. Uh, thumbs up or thumbs down on Arthur Smith as uh, your new offensive coordinator? Well, I know in the back in the day that Cisco and Ebert, it was two thumbs down, and that meant one from each. So it seems, it seems like a, a bit uh, grandiose to say two thumbs down and, and like, and then I attribute them both to me. Um, but I, I, on Monday, Art Rooney II, who is the owner or president of the Steelers now, his father was Dan Rooney, the great, the, one of the great executives in American sports history, uh, made the statement in his annual uh, conversation with the media who cover the team uh, that it would be Tomlin's hire. And I knew right, right then that, that the – that all the process that, that needed to be in place were not were not being followed because look my time like when you have a coach who's really good at some things and and, and really mentioned this um, he mentioned that uh, that the players really respond to him and that's what Tomlin's best at the players don't quit on him and they believe in him they believe in his leadership and and they believe in him and that's why you see them go from the disasters that they had against Arizona, New England, and, and Indianapolis to finish with three consecutive wins and make the playoffs. Very few coaches can do that. But that doesn't mean a coach can't have a weakness. And so your job as the owner or his boss or whatever is to say, okay, you're great at this. We're going to help you over here. He's terrible at hiring assistant coaches. I mean, his, his, his track record is awful, especially on the offensive side of the ball. It's awful. So you say, okay, Tom, Mike, here's the deal. You know, we want you to come back, and here's a contract extension. But um, we're going to have, you know, we're going to have a lot of input into who you hire as an offensive coordinator. And instead, they let him do it, and he went out and he hired uh, a conservative, run-based offensive coordinator uh, because he, because in Tennessee, he had two years where, with Derrick Henry as maybe the most, certainly the most untackleable. Uh, 
running back in modern football. Obviously, not the great, the greatest ever. I mean, Jim Brown played and all that. So I'm not, but in modern football, in the in the last decade or two decades, the most difficult runner to tackle in all of football. So did Arthur Smith help him to be more effective? Sure. But are you are you believing that that the guy who had two years as a as a solid but not great offensive coordinator with with the most untackleable or difficult to tackle running back in the last 20, 20 years, that's your guy. And then he goes to Atlanta and completely fails as a head coach and and and, and in charge of the offense there. It, it's it's just it's just egregious. And and I, there are cer- there are certain things you have to do as the boss. And he and and Art Rooney II declined to do it. And his father would never have declined to do it. When Bill Cowher wanted to take an offensive tackle from Auburn. In the 2004 draft, uh, and and continue to move in the direction that they were moving, where they basically had no quarterback, and uh, they had you know they had like a retread Tommy Maddox, and they were going to do that. Um, and then Dan Rooney poked his head in the draft room and said, "Take the quarterback." Not not in those words, but basically, hey, you really probably should take the quarterback because we really regretted not taking Dan Marino, and they wound up with Ben Roethlisberger for 20 years. Uh, great stuff from Mike DeCourcy. All right, Mike, now let's move on to uh, college basketball. I saw you retweet. This was interesting uh, to me. Uh, last night, Oklahoma beat K-State 73-53. to And uh, your retweet uh, of this information, that was Oklahoma's 103rd men's basketball game played at Kansas State, and that's only the third time they've won by 20 or more. They did it in 1947, and then they did it in 1992 under Billy Tubbs. Uh, K-State has hit a tough spot in their schedule, but I I didn't anticipate that they would get blown out at home by Oklahoma. Uh, Your thoughts on uh, that result last night in Manhattan? Yeah, it's so out of character with what they had been for most of the year. Now, going down to Houston and losing badly was no shock. Uh, Houston's hard to play against. It was in their building. Uh, people in Houston are excited about that team, and rightfully so. Uh, but to come back off of that, uh, maybe the maybe the residual of the Houston game was a lot uh, lots of confidence on the part of the Wildcats. But that's you know that it was so antithetical to who they'd been this year. They'd been so good at home for the most part. Uh, they've been really competitive in just about every game, and now you've got two of these back-to-back. And the, the, the problem with doing that is that, is that you're, you're, you've now lost three in a row, and it was a tough stretch, don't get me wrong, but that was supposed to be the one that gets you out of it because you're at home against a team that had not been overwhelming anybody. I mean, they they they've been winning some games, but they and they, they have a decent record, but they haven't beaten the best teams for the most part, and they haven't been generally winning the, the you know the tough road games and that sort of thing. And then to come in there and 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 beat the Wildcats by twenty, uh, that's that, that that was a surprise, really more than a surprise, and a, a, a real problem now for K State, which had been hanging around on the back of my bracket. Uh, for about the better part of a month, they were right there uh, on in the first four pretty much every every time I do it, which is twice a week. I don't think they ever got out of the first four, and I don't and and maybe only once if 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 it all fell out of it. But it's going to be hard to bounce back from that. Now the good news is that uh, that although it's hard, 
the, the, the road is there. I mean, you, you obviously have to go take care of Oak State on the road. and uh, Oak State's the one not great team in the, in the Big 12. Uh, they're better at home. Uh, they showed that last night, but uh, but they're still very beatable. And then you have opportunity against KU at home on Big Monday and a chance to, to really wipe out what's happened recently. And KU is uh, is an opportunity not only because it's it's a big brand and a and a successful team, but also a team that has not played great basketball lately. So, Mike, what what uh, which statement says more about how tough the Big Twelve is? The fact that Kansas already has three losses, or the fact that despite that, they're only one game out of first place. <laughs> well, I think the thing that says uh, how tough it is is uh, Texas played a number one seed to an overtime game and is two games from the bottom of the league. I think that says a lot, right? Yeah. Um, I, 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 it, it really is a, a very deep and 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 dangerous league, and it, we've seen this before uh, recently, uh, and, and it generally is not great for the for the league members when they get into March because they really do get worn down, and they really do have to become somewhat strategically inflexible. Because you just you just have to be so good every night that you have to be good at you have to be great at certain elements. I mean, if you want to compete at the top of a league like this, you have to be really great at whatever you're good at, and you focus so much on those that when somebody comes at you with something you haven't seen, often you find you find difficulty in trying to respond to it uh, because you spent whatever it might be, uh, whether it's uh, your defense or uh, the way you run your ball screens or whatever it is, you, you become elite at that, and no one in your league can really take you, it away from you. Uh, and then you get into the, into, into, uh, into the NCAAs, and then all of a sudden somebody plays zone, so you can't run your ball screens. And then what do you do? And that becomes a problem for teams like this, or for leagues like this. We saw it last, with last year's Big 12, uh, that, uh, that most of the league, which was as deep a league as there's been in the history of college basketball, struggled in March because they were a worn down and b relatively inflexible with their strategies. And that's again, that's not a criticism; that's a reality. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens as Houston continues to advance uh, toward toward March because they've been. They, you know, when they're at their best, they're terrific. Uh, I think they, I think they have some limitations on offense. That the deeper they go into this league, the more it'll get, it'll get uh, put on display, and, and whether they can overcome those limitations will be interesting to watch. Well, and and that is the game coming up this weekend that that everybody's going to have circled. But when you say that, uh, I like that quote. You have to be really great at whatever you're good at. That that seems to be Houston when it comes to the defensive uh, side of the ball. But they play Kansas uh, at Allen Fieldhouse on Saturday, three o'clock. Um, I guess maybe give us just a primer on this game. If, if Kansas is to is to knock off Houston at home, how do they how do they get it done? Well, I think the first thing they have to do is be somewhat in control of the pace, uh, because Houston, it, Houston's not not the deepest team in the world, but they're deeper than KU, and they can rotate some fresh bodies into the game. 
whereas KU is struggling with that at a at a very high level. I mean, uh, they're they're you look at a box after most games, and you look at the at the usual suspect, and their minutes are thirty five plus. I mean, that's that is not a recipe for sustained success. Last night at Oak State, they were able to cut that down some because it was Oak State. Uh, it took them a little while to distance themselves from uh, the Cowboys, uh, but they ultimately were able to 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 get uh, uh, some rest for DeWan and for Hunter and, and KJ and those guys. Uh, they were able to get some rest for them, and so that was that was certainly a plus uh, for KU. Uh, the, I think the number one job when you're playing Houston beyond finding a way to execute your offense. The number one job is to contain their two guards uh, because uh, Jamal Shedd and LJ Cryer are both great at their at their positions. They're not super big. Uh, you've got a point guard that's about 6'1". I think LJ's 6'2". Maybe they shade him to 6'3". Um, that's not really big for the position. Uh, and so... You can maybe use some size. If, you, if the size is dynamic enough, you can maybe use some size uh, to get in the way some. Um, you have to do a good job defensively against those guys. Texas did a great job against LJ, couldn't stop Shed, uh, and, and lost in, in part because of that. The second thing that goes beyond containing those two guys is you've got to keep everybody off the offensive boards, and that's where Texas really failed uh, because Houston doesn't have – if they get you spread out with those two guards, like I talked about, um, they can they have guys who can finish inside, but they don't have post scorers. So they need the guards to score, and they need to retrieve their misses and get easy putbacks. If you can limit that, you can you can bother Houston. And then the third thing is you got to be able to operate against them, and that's that's the hard part. But it's also the part that probably KU is best equipped to deal with. Because you have a veteran point guard and you have a terrific low post center who's done it for four years now. And you have the dynamism that KJ brings and he's, he's, you know, KJ's like, uh, like a Houston player in a KU uniform. Hard playing, dynamic, uh, relentless, uh, all of that. Uh, that's, you know, that's what Houston has a few guys like KJ, not as good as him necessarily probably higher ceiling than him but not as accomplished at this point as he is um i don't know i i i did not notice until this morning that mcculler didn't play last night uh what is the status for him on saturday i'm not sure on that i i i know it was because he had a bruised knee i'm i'm i I haven't read anything this morning about it i don't know if that's a situation where they're just hoping to rest him up for this weekend i guess yeah that's that my sounds hope. That, it, that it, that would that sounds reasonable given the nature of the opponent, um, and 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 what's coming on Saturday. That sounds if if it's a bruised knee, unless something comes up, uh, one would suspect that uh, that that's probably what was going on. Um, and and honestly, there's not a player in that lineup in the in, not in the rotation, but in the lineup uh, that probably couldn't use a night off. So that they were able to get that for him. Um, it's probably a good thing that they were able to still pull away from Oak State 
late uh, in, the, in the manner that they did uh, without him playing was, was obviously a great thing for the, for the Jayhawks generally. Mike, as always, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it, and we will talk to you next week. Okay, fellas. That's uh, Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News. You can follow him on Twitter. TSN Mike is his handle. We'll be right back after this on WHP. Yeah, I think I think it was natural um, for him. He he, uh, he grew up in a locker room with his dad being a professional athlete, so he he kind of knew where to go and where not to go. But like you did, uh, it's so hard to cross that line to be kind of part of management, coaches, and then be part uh, of the locker room. And, and to still manage the locker room and the respect of the guys without them going, oh, man, you're just a yes man, you know, to, to the front office. And, and he navigates that so easy. Um, and like you did, I mean, that's, a t- that's tough. People don't understand that. And that locker room is a strong place, man. That peer pressure is as strong as it is anywhere uh, in any situation in life. So, um, yeah. And he handles that and does it gracefully. So I, I, I appreciate how he, how he operates. That was Andy Reid as a guest on the Let's Go podcast with Jim Gray and Tom Brady. We played pretty much all that interview in the 6 o'clock hour. If you missed it, not too bad. Now we move on and talk to uh, Matt Derrick from ChiefsDigest.com. Hello, Matt. How are you? I am doing well, Stephen. How are you this morning? Uh, very well. I like to listen to Tom Brady and Andy Reid talk about the challenges of winning back-to-back Super Bowls. It uh, gets my football juices flowing. Yeah, you can't beat that. Right. That, that's 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 some solid gold right there. And because uh, it's like, it's so <laughs> sometimes I just like need to step back. And listen to what I'm saying because it's it still blows my mind because like that conversation was so cool because of course you know Brady and the Patriots were the last team to win back to back Super Bowls in 03 and 04 and then the Chiefs had a chance to do it and then they, they they've stopped you know a couple of teams right the Seahawks had a chance to do it and and the Patriots stopped them the Chiefs had a chance to do it. And, and, and Brady and the Buccaneers stopped him. And so just to listen to that, and for the Chiefs so quickly to have another chance to win back-to-back, and hearing Brady talk about the difficulty and Andy Reid say, ah, you know, we learned some lessons for you a couple of different times. It just, it just, I mean, it just blows my mind that they already have a second opportunity to win back-to-back. What, what I mean, what would that mean? You know, and, and and boy, who knows? You know how many they get end up pulling off uh, in this in this stretch. But if they were to win back to back Super Bowls, what, what what would that mean to you and, and to this legacy? Because it, it's been two decades since anyone's done it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of on multiple levels. I mean, first, you know, there's the the people at the top of the echelon. Which you know would be your Andy Reid and, and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, they both at this point, even even Mahomes has a Hall of Fame resume. I mean, you know he's not done yet, but this this would move him you know into that you know next kind of category as far as the discussion about you know who is the greatest of all time. I mean, it would put him to me. I mean, right there at 
the, the top of the list behind Brady. Um, there's a few guys, obviously, who've got four rings out there and were great, Montana. And, you know, hey, it was a different era, but you got to put Terry Bradshaw in those conversations. I mean, there's some other guys that you absolutely have to be there, but you put Mahomes right up at the top. And for Andy Reid, I mean, with all deference to the Shula and Landry and everything that they accomplished, it was a different era. And, you know, fewer teams. I think it was, you know, it was obviously easier to get to a Super Bowl back then. Um, and Shula, I mean, obviously coached before even the Super Bowl was around, so you got to give him credit for that too. But, I mean, to me, that once again puts him into that category just below Belichick as far as the resume goes. But this is what I keep saying as well is that, if this team keeps reeling off Super Bowl, the the legs of the legacy go on down. I mean, suddenly you know you're you're enough of a dynasty that you know what Clark Hunt's probably going to go into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I mean, Chris Jones has got a Hall of Fame resume. You look back at the Chiefs, you know, of the, like the '60s. You know, they went to two Super Bowls and won one. And how many of those guys have gold jackets? Well, the same thing's going to happen with this team. I mean, there's going to be a lot of guys who are going to end up as Hall of Famers because they got they won back to back Super Bowls and they they were they they made it. I mean, that's that's a big deal on your resume. And you get two, three, four rings. I mean, that means a lot when it comes to deciding who goes in. And this could be interesting when we look back years from now to, to count the Hall of Famers that are involved in this because, you know, it's going to be, like you said, Andy Reid, it's going to be Mahomes, it's going to be Chris Jones. X Factor's already in the Hall of Fame as a fan. <laughs> yeah, and, he uh, is a Hall of Famer, that's right. <laughs> now, I don't know what the laugh track's for, you smart ass. I got a trading card that yeah. says Hall of Famer. Right, that's, I, yeah. what, what, that's what I just said. I'm I mean, just backing you up. He's in there, you know. I'm just backing you ah, up. Everything, yeah. Everything's funny to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, we'll move on. Sorry about that. Um, I wanted to ask, well, okay, you know, touche. Um, <laughs> Matt, if at any point you just want to hang up, we'll, 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 we'll allow it. Um, never, never. By the way, Jake's back. I don't know if you picked up on that. <laughs> I think this is an interesting question, so I ask all three of you, because we're, 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 this is a rematch of the Chiefs' uh, first championship with Mahomes. A few, I don't know, about a month ago, I had said, you know, people keep people keep claiming, oh, this is the worst team that uh, that Mahomes has been on with the Chiefs. I said, okay, that's fine to say that until it's not. If they go on a run and win a championship because the defense is so fantastic and the offense cleans things up, I don't know that you can say it's the worst team. You can say it's the worst offense, but this defense is so lights out and so elite, you can't say it's the worst team anymore. Because, Right, Jake, remember this conversation? Oh, absolutely. You, you can't say that because... They gave up 41 points against three dynamic offenses in the AFC playoffs, and they gave up 10 points in the second half to those three offenses. It, it totally reframed the way right. I look at it. I mean, when you, when you made that point, it totally reframed the way I look at this team and what, and, and what I look at the Chiefs' last you know four teams that have gone to the Super Bowl. Right, Bowls. and so if this is the worst offense that Mahomes has been on, this is the best defense that he's had. Easily. And so I'll ask you guys this. This team for the Chiefs and this team for the 49ers. Is this team better than the team that played the 49ers in Miami? And is this 49ers team 
better than the team that played in Miami against the Chiefs? What would you say about both of those questions, Matt? That is a really good way of framing the question. Um, I, t- I, I, th- I do think that this team, I think, is below the, f- the 54 team for this reason alone, and that, and that is that that defense was playing super lights out at the end of the season. I mean, it was the, it was, it was the hottest defense in the league at the end of the year. I mean, very arguably. So, you know, it was – it wasn't as bad, and obviously the offense was a lot better. I mean, I think if that team and this team played each other, I mean, I think it would be a, a close series. But I think I would give the the nod to the 2019 team, and and conversely, I think this 49ers team might be better than than their 2019 team. Uh, I think I'd give the edge to this one because Christian McCaffrey is a just a different lights out player. I mean, that that team had a good backfield as well, but. He's just amazing. Uh, I think Brock Purdy, as as well for what he is in this offense, is an upgrade from Jimmy Garoppolo in that offense. And I think defensively, as good as that front four was, and that he has an incredible pass rush, I think this is probably a little bit more of a complete defense because they got a really good secondary. Obviously, the linebackers are still there; they're good. I I think I would say that. I think I'd say I think I'd give the edge to the twenty nineteen Chiefs and the twenty three Niners. Nate Bucati. Damn you, this is a good question. Yeah. yeah. Um it's I think that it's your your initial reaction is to say that team from the first Super Bowl because it was just so electrifying offensively. Right? With Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey in his prime. Um, I think they were better at the tackle position than they are now. Um, offensively, that team was just so explosive. It was it was unlike almost anything we've seen. It's harder to it's harder to look at this defense and say, man, it's you know it's it this defense being so much better outweighs that. I, I if this defense shuts the 49ers but, down. Yeah, I mean, this defense, I mean, I was looking at it this way. I think that, you know, the perspective, the perception I think that a lot of people would have is that, oh, you look at this team, the 49ers have the defense, right? But statistically, the Chiefs have had a better defense than the 49ers this year through the course of the whole season. And if they finish this run with another dominant performance, yeah, then, you, then we look back and think that was – one of the best defenses, postseason defense we've ever seen, and, and we, yeah, like we didn't appreciate even even though the defense was good, we didn't appreciate it for most of the year. And I think a lot of that is just because we're not used to this. We're used to the Chiefs being great on offense and not so great on defense. So, um, man, I'm dodging the question a little bit. You sure are. <laughs> Come off the you know, I'm going to say this year's team for one other reason. This year's team has now played already in three. Not the whole team, right? But but a, but a, but a hand, but the most important players on the team have played. And most of them have at least played in one Super Bowl already. These guys are ready for this stage. They're experienced in this stage. So I will get. I will put that as the thing that puts them over the edge over that first team. For me, what puts this team over the edge? Very simply, Taylor Swift. So. <laughs> There's, there's you, that you, missed, you missed the obvious right there. Yeah, that, yeah, that was. Um, Jake, real quick, weigh in, or do you have a, or do you want to wait on that? Um, you feel strongly. 
I don't feel strongly. It is a damn good question. I would. I. I think I just say 2019. Just for for me, it's just that team is like no other offense I've ever seen before in my life. I mean, there's no wrong answer. No, just, absolutely. You know. But I do think that this 49ers team is better for the fact that Jimmy G. I mean, it just he wasn't the guy. And then you look at like Matt clearly pointed out, McCaffrey is 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 unlike any other skill position player in this league. I right. mean, I, I think he he very well could be the MVP in my eyes for this league. Um, okay, so Matt, uh, very disappointing news about Amani Hugh with a torn ACL. Uh, but we talked a lot about this yesterday. Um, the Chiefs did spend a first-round pick on a defensive end uh, in FAU. Um, he, his, his, he was averaging about 17 or 18 snaps a game when Amenihu was suspended, and that dropped dramatically until the final game of the season when the starters rested and he had about 60 snaps. Uh, then a healthy scratch for the playoffs. Is, is, is that where they're going to go to try to, to fill in the gaps and, and try to get that help? I know people have uh, tweeted out, you know, go sign Frank Clark, go sign Carlos Dunlap. What what role do you think now this pushes FAU into? Because wouldn't that be a great story for a hometown kid that they spent a first-round pick on? And that's not the craziest thing in the world, because he was a first-round pick for a reason, to think he could step in and at least have some type of impact in this game. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously the, the Chiefs trusted him earlier in the season when, when a minute he was suspended and uh, you know, yeah, I mean, they, it's not like that they don't trust him as I, and I keep saying with, with the, with, with Felix and everything is that people think that because he's not playing that it was a bad pick or he's a bust or some sort of nature like that. No, it has to do with the fact that she's had George Carlopsis, Charles has Menehue, Mike Dana. Chris Jones, I mean, you know, he, at, at best, I mean, even as good as he could be, he'd only be the fifth option right now. And the Chiefs have, hey, they've favored Malik Herring because Herring can play inside as well, so he's got that flexibility. Felix is still, you know, he, he is an undersized, you know, DN, so he's not somebody that you're probably going to kick inside that much. So he's probably going to exclusively play on the outside. So for what they do scheme-wise, I mean, it's, it's not really his, his jam right now. Um, but it will be. I mean, you know, that's the thing. I mean, he, he, held, he, he acquitted himself well early in the season. I thought he played well in Week 18. The Chiefs are so excited about him. I mean, so anybody, you know, giving up on Felix at this point, at this point, his, his playing time has had very little to do with himself, and it has more to do with the fact that this team – is stacked at that position. But why did they pick him? Why did they take him? Well, because Chris Jones going to, you know, have another contract issue this offseason. Mike Dana is in a contract season. He may be gone. You're going to need, I mean, Charles Minnick, you, you do have signed for one more year, but it's an out year. So, you know, I mean, I, I think they'd like to keep him. But then again, I mean, the ACL may change that equation. You may not have him now for part of next year. That's the thing. I mean, Felix was drafted all along with 24 in mind. That was the year. It's just, and I and I think Spags and you know, Joe Cohn may have both said this at some point. Is like, hey, that we may need Felix at some point, and he's going to play. I mean, that there, there's going to be the injuries. He may get his opportunity, and if he does, he'll play. Now, now this is the game where there's no tomorrow. 
So I would imagine that as of many few snaps, I would think a good chunk, honestly, will probably go to Karloftis and Danit. You'll just play them more because there's no tomorrow. You, you leave it all on the field. So he may not get all of, of Minahue's work, and, and maybe Malik Herring does too. Uh, I think you'll certainly see Felix, though. I mean, there's no doubt. And I, I think the Chiefs feel like he's ready for it. You know, when you, when you put it that way, too, the Super Bowl is the right time, not only because there's no tomorrow, but the commercial breaks take forever, <laughs> half times longer. Like, there's more time to rest, right, in, in the Super Bowl to, to stay fresh for a guy like Karloftis to play more snaps? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're right. I mean, you get a longer halftime, too. So, yeah, I mean, all of that, I think, and makes it more po- likely impossible that those guys can play a lot more. Now, hey, it depends on the, the pace of the game, how many snaps you end up getting. I mean, if you end up having to play 80 defensive snaps, then sure, Felix is going to play more. Um, but and, and, and once again, I mean, they'll probably use him in situations where – they feel like he's comfortable. You know, maybe they'll put him in on a third down package because that would be a place where sometimes a minute he was. So, and and they and they love just throwing defensive ends out there in our third down. So, I think you would you would certainly favor to me Felix maybe in that situation over a, a Malik Herring. I mean, if you get the option of those two, I think you'd put him in in that spot. There'd be some places where you'd favor Malik just because of his versatility and his size. But there's going to be opportunities for him, and I mean, I, I we'll see how much how much he plays. But yeah, I do think that with like you mentioned, because of just how the pace of the game goes, we're in the Super Bowl. It does make it easier for for big guys in the defensive line to stay on the field longer. Matt Derrick from ChiefsDigest.com. Thank you so much for the time. We will talk to you next week. I hope, uh, I hope you guys are. You guys going to be in Vegas? It's going to be Todd Lebo and Seren Petro with a one-two punch for you. See, uh, the sad thing about it is because one of my favorite photos of all time, Stephen, is that photo of you and I that you you took in in Miami. No, the opening night. That was opening night. Yep. Mm. Wonderful memories. No one can ever take those away from us. I was a lot fatter in that photo, but I, I was at least a little skinnier, and I had a fresh haircut, so I looked, I looked, I looked good. Well, I'm a lot fatter in every photo somehow. So <laughs> uh, there's, there's that. Hey, uh, Matt, uh, we'll talk to you again soon, my man. Thank you. Take care, my friends. Matt Derrick from ChiefsDigest.com. Always good to talk to him. We'll be right back after this on WHP. Hey, let me play a couple of clips of uh, Chiefs offensive lineman Jawan Taylor on uh, Jim Rome. Yesterday, Juwan Taylor's been solid in the postseason, and Juwan Taylor obviously going to have to have a big Super Bowl for the Chiefs to be successful. If the Chiefs' offensive line protects Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes is going to shred their secondary. You got that right. And I, I have every reason to believe they will protect Patrick Mahomes. But he'll shred that secondary. I don't know um, if it'll be Joe Tooney or Nick Allegretti, but I think I think we saw enough from Nick Allegretti to have confidence in him if indeed he's the guy that's starting the Super Bowl. I think Willie Gay's going to be back as far as injuries. You know, he was pretty much a game-time decision for this last game, but Joe Tooney's still up in the air. Cross your fingers. Love to have him play, but I'll ride with Nick Allegretti. 
Here is Juwan Taylor on uh, Jim Rome yesterday. Uh, here he talks about the Chiefs sticking together through all the rough times this season. Uh, we just knew that we would play for one another, uh, no matter you know the obstacles that we faced throughout the year, the adversity we faced. Uh, you know, we just knew how hard we worked throughout the week to prepare for games, and uh, you know, we we always believed in one another. <clears throat> so, you know, when we got to certain points of the season where things weren't looking too good, we just kept believing in each other, and you know, just kept kept our head down and kept working. So, uh, that just hats off to, to the coaching staff we have here in the building. You know, the best in the business, um, and having one, and having the best quarterback in, in the league, man. Just having somebody like that on your team, you know, you believe in that guy, and well, we believe in one another, and we just go out there and play for each other every Sunday. You know, he's another guy that uh, whatever happened, even when there were struggles, he would make himself available in the locker room. Yeah. And I do, I again, I, I appreciate that. It makes my job easier. And he'll talk and he'll answer questions. And so I root for him to succeed. Uh, not a great uh, basketball shot, though. So we stood there in the locker room yeah. that last day. He... he he almost uh, knocked a couple of media members unconscious with <laughs> basketballs ricocheting off the wall. But that's well, fine. Hey, he's a football player. Uh, but he tries. He's out there. He's having fun. Baseline, not his, not, not his, you know? where his jump sh- That's not his range. Right. Uh, here, Taylor uh, said, uh, uh, after seeing Mahomes from afar, it's something else to be his teammate. Bert, it is vocally uh, every day. Um, you know, he, he brings that, that, that leadership inside every day. He brings that, that energy every day that we need in order to be successful. And, uh, you know, everybody feeds off his energy. And he brings that intensity every day. You know, he, he's a true, he has a true heart of a champion. You know, you know, he just attacks every day head first, you know, and he, he prepares that way and the way he practices and the way he just goes about his business every day is, is truly admirable, man. And, uh, you know, just playing with somebody like that, you know, it, it only brings everybody else with him. You know, everybody feeds off that and everybody just goes with him. And, and we just play hard, man. Let's close it with that last one here. Juwan Taylor says the 49ers will be a big challenge in the Super Bowl. They're a phenomenal defense, uh, very good pass rush uh, group. Uh, you know, they also do the stop and the run. They have really good guys on the back end as well, uh, very good linebackers. Uh, so we definitely got another tall, tall pass ahead of us and a great challenge ahead of us. But, uh, you know, we just got to put, put together another great week of practice, man, and prepare and, uh, you know, just get ready for those guys because they're a very good, very good defense. That was Jawan Taylor, Chiefs right tackle on Jim Rome. Back after this on WHP.